How's everybody? Did your team win? It's a great divide fixed between us, it sounds like. <laughs> well, I hadn't watched it yet, so I don't know. The Cowboys lost, is that right? <laughs> oh, they did, yeah, in 1971. Uh, <laughs> all right, so why don't you grab your Bibles and go to Matthew 13. This is the same place where we were this morning. And um, so as we take a step deeper into these parables and the study of it especially, I'll remind you that one of the things that I'm hoping to do with these Sunday night uh, times that we have together during the parables, a slanted series that we're doing, is to hand you some tools for your Bible study toolbox, okay? Uh, Whenever God says to me, in whatever way, whether he speaks through you or he speaks through circumstances or he speaks through my own death, the day that I am no longer your pastor, I hope that you'll be able to look backwards and say, he helped us study scripture well, all right? Not just tell you what I think it means, but I want to equip you to be able to pick up a Bible and to be able to chew on it yourself, all right? And so that's part of what we're doing here. And uh, so if you weren't here last week, I'm gonna, there's a little bit of catching up that we'll have to do, but we'll do it as we work our way through it, okay? So one of the things as we come to parables and the study of them is we have a little bit of history, I think, that we need to overcome. Uh, because, and it's not that our background history is wrong, it's just that it's not as right as it could be, all right? So the old Sunday school definition of a parable is what? Okay, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Because what Russell said, it teaches us something, okay? An earthly story with a heavenly meaning. I'm not arguing that, all right? I'm not saying that that's wrong, so don't misunderstand me. But there is another element that will make your parable study easier for you, I think, and maybe even more fruitful. And that is that, and here's the premise that we started with last week, that every main character in a parable Jesus uses to teach a point. Okay? So when we started this, uh, this series a couple of weeks ago, I started with, anybody remember which parable we started with? All right? So two weeks ago, and by the way, I, you know, I told you last week, the quickest way for a pastor to recognize that nobody's listening to him is ask, him, ask people to tell you what he said. Uh, but we started a couple of weeks ago. Today was the third uh, sermon in this series, right? So a couple of weeks ago, we started with the parable of the sower, soils, seed, all right? The fact that we have struggles in identifying how, that, how we want to describe that parable kind of makes the point, right? It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That is true. But the question is, how many heavenly meanings are there in there? And so the way I took it and still would take it is that it's more of a parable of the soils than it is of the sower, all right? I'm not going to go back and redo all of that, but we can talk about it later if you want to do that. Now, that is, if, if we follow this, this uh, 
motif in handling parables, then the parable of the soils is considered a three-point complex parable. All right? I'm not going to go back and redo all of that. That's just the way we would classify that. The one last week, now, somebody said prodigal sons, right? Or son. Is it one or two? Okay, thank you. So... Uh, how would you say that is? What, what, what kind of parable would that be if each main character gets a point? Okay, there's multiple in there. Who are the characters of that or the primary characters of that parable? Okay, the father and the two sons. So you have two prodigal sons and one father. And so uh, following this motif, there would be three different primary points that we would pull out of it. All right. So now that takes us to today. And which parables were they? The treasure and the, pearl. and the pearl. All right. How many main characters in each of those two parables? One. one. So this would be a one-point parable. And so this is where that earthly story with a heavenly meaning, the a heavenly meaning is especially applicable here. All right. Because there's one main character. We're going to talk about that tonight. Let's go ahead and read those if we will. This is easy, right? <laughs> Well, it maybe will make it a little bit easier as we work. Okay. All right, so let me give you three principles when it comes to interpreting parables. All right, now I'm going to apologize to you. I really probably should have put this on like a handout for you because there's too much for you to write here. So just listen, and then uh, if you want this, any of this stuff in writing, then I can put together a sheet, kind of a, a cut sheet for that will help you. All right, so don't worry about trying to write all these down, but there's three different principles of parables and interpreting them that I want you to get. The first one is from a guy named Lisher, L-I-S-C-H-E-R. He says this, A parable may indeed teach one truth, but you will need to dig for it. And when you find it, it will be more than you bargained for. I love that. I mean, that that sounds like somebody who spent a lot of time in the parables to me. All right. Here's another one. This is from Craig Blomberg, uh, a conservative Bible scholar, he says this, metaphors aren't meant to be pressed down to every last detail, and analogies break down at some point. So essentially what he's saying is that you can take some of these parables and you can strain them to get too much stuff out of it and to start breaking down. Jesus tells a story, but he's intending to teach something out of that. So our goal is to figure out what he's trying to teach out of that, right? And that we go back to some of what we said last week and through the history of interpreting parables among Bible scholars where people have gotten into the most trouble is when every little piece of every little parable means 15 different things, all right? Uh, Jesus is intending to teach something here, all right? So the last principle I want you to get is from a guy named Rotrammel. And he says this, you can fall off the horse on either side. And the goal is to stay on the horse for maximum benefit and effectiveness. And so you're thinking, what does that have to do with interpreting parables? And the answer is, if you stay on the horse and you get to the point that Jesus is making, you get it. I mean, you'll get it. And it'll be one of those, sometimes it'll snap... Slap you upside the head, to quote some of my old friends, um, but you'll get it. Okay, so the goal is stay on the horse and 
find some balance in that, as we'll see as we work our way through this. Okay, so tonight, let's take these two and let's do a little bit of work with them. So what is the point of these two parables? We've already said, I asked you before, how many main characters are there in these? There's one in each one. So these are one-point parables, which would lead us, if the premise is right, that would lead us to say, what is it, how many truths would Jesus be teaching out of this? One, okay? All right, now we're going to go back and unpack my sermon a little bit. Okay, very good. So we'll come to that in a minute. Let's do this, though. If there's one point to these parables, we've read them again now. You heard them all morning. So what are some of the options? What might be the point that Jesus is teaching? Let's just do a little brainstorming. You read, you've read those two parables. You've heard them read. If there's one point, because there's one main character, what might be Jesus' point? Okay, that's good. Do whatever it takes to get what you're after. Okay, man, I'm thinking about how I'm going to use time before staff meeting tomorrow. (laughs) You were going to say what? Okay, so which of those is the point that Jesus is making? I'm I'm not pinning you down, I'm just saying, once we start talking about it, if Jesus is saying one thing, then what is the one thing? More options, okay, I'm just trying to get options on the table here. What might he be teaching? Okay, so I'm going to put words in your mouth. Okay, You didn't say it exactly this way, but we might take from what you said that Jesus may be teaching that when you find the kingdom of heaven, there's joy there. Okay, would that fit? Okay. So it's not that anybody that we've heard anything from here is wrong. It's just that there are a lot of options. Right? So how do you know what is Jesus' intent what is the main point that he's trying to drive home here? All right, here's four that I wrote down. Some of them we already talked about. The kingdom of God is of surpassing value. Does that fit those parables? Okay, that was, that was not exactly a rousing kind of endorsement, but I say it is. All right, but that doesn't matter what I say. Here's another one. The kingdom of God requires the sacrifice of all we have. We've heard that. The kingdom of God, this is third, the kingdom of God is a reality hidden from experience, but it can be found. Does that fit what Jesus is saying? Is that a spiritual truth? All right, the last one then, and this is the joy, when the kingdom of God once appropriated brings joy. So how do we we settle on Jesus' intended meeting? If in these, okay, now these are one-point parables. When you start getting the complex three-point parables... It gets really difficult sometimes to figure out how do I know what Jesus intends. Okay? That's what we shoot for. So here's the answer. Well, it's part of the answer. The word is context. What does that mean as it relates to Bible study? Okay? Excellent. So with what, and and Farley's right, don't take it out of context. One of the quickest ways to fall off into outright heresy as an interpreter of Scripture is to get it out of its context. And then you can just make it say what you want it to. It doesn't make it true. You can make it say what you want to with that. A lot of what I consider to be cults historically have done exactly that. I'm going to take this little piece of Scripture and I'm going to make it say this because that's what I want it to mean. And then they throw it out as if, well, that's in Scripture. There you go. 
By the way, a lot of the people we're called to reach outside of the doors of the church know enough scripture based on that approach that they, you know, judge not lest you be judged. You know that passage? Okay, so you're just judging me, right? Well, the reality, the fact that Jesus said it is an instruction to judge in one way, right? Well, if you go back and read the context, you'll find that he's in the process. Well, anyway, that's a whole other sermon. We'll get to that. All right. So, um, all right. So, how do we settle on what Jesus' intended meaning is? We review the context. All right. So, what is the context here? In Matthew thirteen forty-four through forty-six, what is the context? What's going on? All right. Very good. That's good. Anybody else? What is the context of what is happening here? Both of those are true, okay? There's more to it. So how do you know? Maybe I should ask this question. How do you know what the context is? And by now you're thinking, why did I even come here tonight? He's asking <laughs> all these questions. <laughs> yes, sir. Very good. All right. So to that end... And this pulls into other stuff that's been said. If you go back, and we're not going to do it right now, but you can do it in your own time, all right? If you go back to Matthew 12, okay, here's what I want you to get. Sometimes the context is not just the verses right around it. Sometimes you need to go back and realize that this is part of an unfolding point that the gospel writer is making. So if you go back to Matthew 12, let's just do this after all. Matthew chapter 12 In verse 1, it says, And at that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, What are you, nuts? Well, that's not exactly what they said, but that's the spirit in which they said, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. All right? So Matthew is in a section here where he is highlighting the opposition that is rising against Jesus. All right? That's Matthew 12. We can go on a little bit further. Verse 9, He went on from there and entered their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him? Again, Matthew is saying, there is this increasing, this building hostility towards Jesus by the religious leaders. All right, And we could just walk our way through a number of these things. So Jesus teaches one of the subheadings in mind in Matthew 12 is a tree is known by its fruit. So Jesus begins to take it right back at them. Okay? If you ever thought that Jesus was just a wimp, you didn't read the Gospels very well. Because he goes after these religious leaders when they began to raise the uh, opposition against him. So by the time we get over into tonight's text in this latter part of Matthew 13, what we find is that Jesus is in full-scale confrontation mode with these religious leaders. And so that's part of where the slant comes in, right? Remember what I said this morning? That Jesus could have just walked, I said it in one way or another, Jesus could have just walked in and just, just tagged these guys right between the eyes with the truth. Okay? But they wouldn't have heard that. It would have just ramped it up even more. So he tells this, these two parables to his disciples. Well, I think that's kind of the definition of the slant part that he's coming at it, right? So that, that's slant in and of itself. Sometimes you can see it and sometimes you don't see it. 
But that doesn't mean it's not there when you don't see it, right? I'm going to come back to that in just a few minutes. So if I don't, then ask me again and make sure I'll try to give you a better answer, okay? So let me do this. Let's take another step here, right? Because the question that I asked you was, how do we settle on Jesus' intended meaning? And the first answer that I gave you out of four is context, right? You check the context. Here's the second one. It's context. <laughs> okay. I call this context part two. All right. It's a different approach to looking for content. Here's a question for you. Why do you think I took both of these two parables together today instead of just teach, uh, preaching off of one of them? Because they're connected. It's a great answer. All right. So here's, here's one of the ways. If you want to get to Jesus' intended meaning, on these, especially on these one-point uh, parables, then look around it. And often you will find, especially with one-point parables, that they come in a group. Right? So Jesus may be making one point, but he hits you 16 times with that point. Now, that's an overstatement, obviously. But in this case, he tells one, it makes the same point as the next one. And so part of what you do is you look to see, are, is this parable part of a group? And so that's what we find here, all right? So let me do this. Let's just go ahead and ramp it up a little bit. Uh, so if, if his teaching is part, these parables are part of a group, and we're looking at the context, let's look forward in the context with a one-point parable. In verse 52, Jesus tells another parable. Let's see what he might say. And Jesus said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. What's his point? Well, first of all, how many characters, main characters are there in that? One. So it's a one-point parable, or at least it could be. And it's now put in a position with these other two one-point parables. We know pretty much, at least with pretty good certainty, we think, what they are teaching. What is verse 52 teaching? Before you answer that, hang on, we'll come back to it in a little bit, okay? So part of, here's the context part two. Part of getting to Jesus' intended meaning is you look around it. Is it part of a group of other parables? And so you let them inform each other, all right? So here's the third of four. Ready? It's context. <laughs> And this is context part three, all right? And so what you do now is these two that we use together, let's identify the similarities in these two parables, all right? This comes a little bit to what you said, right? Because we're going to identify what the similarities are. We're also going to identify what the differences are. This is all context, right? So what are the similarities in these two parables? The kingdom of heaven is Jesus' lead-in, right? Again, he says in the second one, the kingdom of heaven is like. Yes. Okay. All right. So the cost is exactly the same. Okay. That's a clue, by the way. Remember context? So if, if it says, if Jesus says the exact same thing two different ways, or two different times in, the, in two parables that are connected with one another, you can be sure that's important. All right. So I'm going to come to the application. We're going to spend a little time in that. But I totally in, agree with that also. Right, so the similarities is the cost is the same in both times. Right, the kingdom of heaven is consistent in both of them. Anything else? 
something. Okay, there's valuable. All right, so let's use that valuable. So in both cases, there's this incredible value that is part of the discussion. All right, so let's go now to the other side. What are different? What are the differences between these two? One sound uh, found and one sought after. All right, what else? Say that again. Right, that's right. As opposed to just the okay, okay, that's good. All right. So when you when you're doing your personal study on this, write these things down. All right, so that you can come back and start uh, doing a little bit of analysis. And some people love to do analysis, and some just absolutely hate it. Okay, and that's okay. Right? You come at it with who you are, but these are some some triggers I think for you as you come into this. All right. So here's another little one, and I'm not really sure, honestly, how much weight to put on this, but it seems to be a difference. And that is the first one, there is this joy concept that comes in, but do you see that in the second one? You see what I'm saying? So that's good to write down and come back and say, okay, so what does that have to do with anything really? So, uh, all right, so here's what you've done with what we just walked through. I've given you three different importance statements relative to context. Okay, what were they? Context, context, context. That's that's good. All right, so let's add a fourth one to it. All right. Yes. Yes, ma'am. Okay, right. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you said that, actually. I hadn't really thought about it as far as including it in here. But there is a, a wing of New Testament scholars that say, you know, really, Jesus could be talking about himself here. Yes. All right? Um, and that's a possibility. How would you know if that's what he really means? And the answer is context. <laughs> All right? You tired of hearing that word yet? All right. So let's do this. Let's kind of bring a summary to where we are here. The question is, how do we decide which is Jesus' intended meaning? And so I would point you back to, with all this information we have out there now, I would take, point you back to those three principles that I started with. All right? You may remember. No, don't. I know you don't. Let me just give you the one that matters the most here, and that's the one that Rotrammel said, which is the goal is to stay on the horse. Right? Please hear me say this with as much love and force as I can. Don't slip into the trap of spending so much time analyzing Scripture that you fail to let Scripture do a number on you. Okay? It's really not about how much you know. I like to say it this way. It's not about how much ground you cover in your Bible study. It's about how much the Bible study covers you. Right? So be a responsible interpreter of Scripture. But at the end of the day, you can do all this analysis, and if you don't say, okay, what does that mean in my life today, then you, you quit too early. All right? So we're going to come back to that, but let me, let me say it this way. It's the goal is to stay on the horse. The goal is when you do that, you want maximum benefit and effectiveness. So you try to figure out what does Jesus mean here? So now what I want to do is take us into the sermon this morning. And this is scary because I'm going to ask you what you remember. I think I said something like this today. I know that I've said it several different times already in this series. What we find with Jesus on a regular basis as he uses parables is that he's teaching about the kingdom of God and how it plays out in our lives. All right? 
Did I say something like that today? Right? Um, he's teaching us about the nature of the kingdom of God. And it's intended for us to apply that into our lives. So on what grounds might I say that out of this passage, out of these two parables? What is Jesus teaching us about the nature of the kingdom of God? And in this case, I, I made two points today. And I tried to be really intentional so that I got those two points out there before I started explaining them. Okay? So I talked about the value. That's the first big umbrella point. And then I talked about the cost. All right? So with that in mind, we come to this. And I made, hear me carefully now, I, I put together a two-point sermon out of a one-point parable. Is that acceptable? Please say yes. <laughs> uh, Okay, so here's, here's why I did that, so that you understand. And this goes back to what Mark was saying, okay? There is a difference in Bible study between drawing the principle out and making the application, all right? We used to be told in seminaries, best I can remember, those of you who were in seminary, that any text has one meaning and multiple applications, right? Well, some text might push just the one meaning, I think. But it was written, remember what I've said many times, it was written by a particular person to a particular group of people at a particular point in time for a particular purpose, right? And so that's part of what we go to. What was that particular point in time? How would they have understood this? Did you hear me talk about that this morning? I said, how would Jesus' first century hearers have heard this? And I talked about the Roman Empire, all right? And so that's the context, that's the part where Jesus is speaking into a real situation. But he's making a point, and this is where part of that slant comes in, I think. And that is that when he gets that truth out there, it opens the door for, him, for, uh, for application. Okay, so what does that mean to me? Now, I don't have time to do it tonight. I wish I did. I, I, I started to see about setting up the stuff. But there is an approach to Bible study that I have taught uh, just about everywhere I've gone. It's an adaptation of something I learned early on in seminary. But it's how do you study the Bible so that it makes a difference in your life. Okay? And part of that is just, it's just an arc. You remember that? Some of y'all were here and I did that Bible study arc, right? Well, at the tail end of the arc is a funnel. And the funnel is application. And so the, the idea there is that you start with this general application but general application doesn't cause you to have to change your life, okay? So you get it into the funnel, and it comes down, and the tail end, the small end of the funnel, is you, all right? So what does this mean to me, all right? So I did that this morning, tried to do that this morning, after talking about the value of the kingdom of God. Where did I get this out of, the, out of this text? And the answer is, it's everywhere in this text, Right? So I took Jesus' intended meaning of this one-point parable to be, it costs you everything, but it's worth it. Okay? The value is, whatever the word you quoted me saying this morning, I don't remember, inestimable. Okay? So you can't put a value number on the value of the life that Jesus gives. Right? That's the kingdom of God principle here. But you have to apply that. If it costs you everything, what does that mean in your life? 
How do you get to that particular point? So I drew applications based on those two things, value and cost. So let's do a little group exercise here. I gave some application this morning. Let's let you do application now, all right? So if the teaching point includes the incredible value of the kingdom of God, what is application that we might take away from this? Let's just hear, okay? Remember, if there's only one meaning, there are multiple applications. So let's apply it. I'll be quiet. You talk. If the value is worth the cost. Okay, good. Share the kingdom. Share the kingdom. Okay, good. Yes, sir? My personal application. All right, one second. Let me just build off of that to say that's the between the eyes truth, right? But the slant part of the way Jesus comes at this is he tells a story. And if those guys weren't engaged in the story, if they weren't listening, if they didn't have spiritual sensitivity to the truth, then they may well have walked away from that, right? That's why Jesus says in, an, in that other place there, I'm, I'm using parables because hearing they cannot hear and seeing they do not see and those kind of things, right? Okay, good. Yes, ma'am. Go ahead. So you want an old preacher joke? Let me give you an old preacher joke to that point, okay? Uh, this guy, you, know, you ever know anybody who came to know Christ and they just got a full dose? I mean, they're happy and joyful and all of that stuff. So the, the, that happens. And this guy comes to the pastor. I'm just full of the joy of the Lord. I just can't believe it. And the pastor said, what? And he said, I just, you know, God changed my life and everything's, you know, it's just, it's great. I'm full of joy. And the pastor said, well, you didn't get that around here, so don't be bringing it in here. <laughs> To your point, right? When you experience the kingdom of God as Jesus offers it to us. This morning, I took that to a passage of scripture that happens to be one you're probably tired of hearing from me, right? John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life. Right. So here's a couple of other um, applications on the value part of it that we might make. Does your experience match the value of the kingdom of God as Jesus presents it here? That's, by the way, that's the small end of the funnel. Okay? That's not the real comfortable big end of the funnel application. That's where it comes right down to what do I do with this. Here's another one. The kingdom of God's value is more, this goes to what was said, is more than just moral or ethical compliance. Okay? I leaned on that this morning. Did you catch that? You know why I leaned on that this morning? <laughs> because we're called to take the gospel outside those doors. And most of the people outside those doors, when they think of Christians, they just think of this moral code. And they don't want that. Many of them don't want that. At least that's what they'll tell us. But what they need is what Jesus offers here. Right? It's the relationship base. Right? All right. So here's a third one for you. Uh, should our bridge building embrace a simple reductionistic model of the kingdom of God, that is promoting ethics and morality instead of relationship, or not? That's a little harder, okay? Because here's what I want to make sure you know. I'm not suggesting that we can just push that ethical part of our life off to the side. There are Christian groups who say, I just do that. We'll be all things to all people, and so we'll just go out. Okay, I'm not suggesting that we have the luxury of saying we get to just do whatever, you know. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, 
it's not that easy a question to say, how do we do this? But I, my point is that if you don't have that surpassing value kind of kingdom of God at work in your life, you're less equipped to go outside the doors than what you might think. All right? Here's the fourth one. You tired of me giving applications? The fourth one is whether we're seeking it or not, confrontation with the kingdom of God can occur. All right? That goes back to your point finally, right? One was looking for it. One was not. And both found it. Right? Don't miss that. Especially... If you have loved ones in your life who have seen or seem to have rejected the kingdom of God and seem to have rejected the gospel, don't underestimate God's ability to crack them right between the eyes with spiritual truth. Right? You know how I can say that? Because I was that person. Might be more often than I want to admit it today even. Right? All right, so don't give up on your loved ones if they seem to be wandering away. And by the way, don't give up on those people who are in the park over there right now either because God has the ability. Sometimes he uses us, sometimes he doesn't. But everybody matters, and he doesn't want any to go without the kingdom of God, right? All right, so... What applications might we draw for the cost side of this? We're going to not spend as much time here because we're almost out of time. Okay, so I emphasize the value. I emphasize the cost. So how do we apply the cost part of this? It's a lot more comfortable to talk about the value, isn't it? That's a good truth. You know, I had a meeting before this one tonight, and one of the things I said to that group was, you need to make friends with God's Word. You know, you just, and, and there's no way to do that other than to just spend time in it. And it's a lot easier, you know, I'll try to avoid my soapbox here, but it's a lot easier to pick up what somebody else said about that passage than it is to dig it out. But when you dig it out and the Holy Spirit teaches you that, pretty much you get it. He's an incredible teacher. All right? What else? Application for the cost attached to the kingdom of God. Yes, sir. That's a good word, but it's a hard truth. Right? Very good word. People are messy. And when you take the gospel to them, the kingdom of God, and you introduce that to them, you can count on it not being all that pleasant sometimes. Yes, ma'am. I, I had a conversation with somebody this on the light part of that. I had a conversation with somebody this week. They said, you know, God's teaching me to embrace what he said about being light. He said, because I prefer to be heat. <laughs> and I thought... Okay, that stings a little bit. <laughs> That's good. Good, Farley. Very good. All right. Somebody else had their, their hand up. And costly, like she said behind you. And a great example of that is Jesus and the woman at the well, right? Because, well, anyway, yeah. Somebody, yes, sir. Go ahead. Yeah. I, I'm flashing. I don't know that story, but I'm flashing to, if, if you are a history buff, you ought to read church history. Okay? You ought to, you ought to go back and read church history because God has peppered the landscape of church history with some of his choice servants who worked and it cost them everything. And, and from a human perspective, there was very little payoff. Okay? But they held into it. Okay? And I have to believe it's because they recognized the value of the kingdom of God for them. And it was something they wanted to share with others. 
right? Enough to cost them their lives, many of them. All right, so there's, I told you there's four different things you need to get. So we have three different ones of context, right? So the fourth one is context. <laughs> and actually, this is the second one revisited here, all right? So here's your homework. Figure out what Jesus means in verse 52. Now, we read it a minute ago, but work on that a little bit, all right? Context, context context, and then apply it. All right? Let's pray.